Uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 14, verse 13. Matthew verse 14, verse 13. But um, let's don't let that familiarity get you and get in your way, okay, of being moved, moved by its, its truth. 14, 13 through 21. And I told the scaps this morning during our greeting time, which kudos to me as an introvert for talking to another person during the greeting time. Um, I'm growing in Jesus. It's happening. There's progress being made. Sanctification is under, underway. I told Kay, like, I'm becoming a fan of the 20-minute sermon. I don't know about you guys, but um, it's, it's super challenging. It's actually harder, and I, but I think it's more rewarding. And lo and behold, we're taking communion this morning, so it gave me another chance to tighten things up a bit and be, and be a little bit shorter this morning. So Matthew 14, 13, here we go. So two things happened to me on Friday um, that I saw coming. Okay, but I didn't expect. Okay, uh, and when they happened to me, I wasn't really sure what to do about it. Those are those, that's a true sentence. Okay, so in the first week of being back to work after being off for three weeks, okay, I didn't have a single meeting on my calendar for Friday. Let me say that again. I was off for three weeks, came back to work, and on Friday, I didn't have a single meeting on my calendar. I did not get a single phone call from anybody at work. I did not get a, an invite or a meeting request for anything at work. I did not get chatted in Microsoft Teams, which is not a surprise because Microsoft Teams is really hard to figure out. But I did not get chatted by, by anybody at work for anything, okay? Nobody needed me on Friday. Worse, nobody wanted me, okay? Nobody had planned to meet with me. Nobody had planned to want something from me. No one sent me an invite. Nobody suddenly wanted me or needed me, and nobody called me. That was the first thing that happened to me on Friday that I saw coming because I had a calendar, but I didn't expect it. Okay? And earlier that day, that same Friday, the absolutely improbable thing happened. I got my email inbox to inbox zero. Can you believe it? I know, right? It was absolutely gratifying for about 10 seconds, okay? So within an, within an hour, I was able to archive or delete every email in my inbox. So I had no, e no meetings. I got no emails. I got no phone calls. I did get one text message from Kevin telling me that he would not be here. That was it, Okay. That was it. And for a little bit, it was very fulfilling. It was very satisfying. But then I began to feel a little insecure. I was not full. And I felt this way even though I had not written this sermon yet. Like I had plenty to do. Okay. So in his, in his book, um, you know what? The title doesn't matter because it's confusing. But this, I read this book by a gentleman named Andrew Root, who's a a Lutheran theologian and professor. And don't worry, I'm not changing denominations. But it was a really, it's a really interesting book. And he, in this book, he's talking about the struggles that congregations have to minister to a culture 
in which the people of that culture find their satisfaction in being busy. And this is what this is the paragraph uh, that I pulled out for for today. I put this in the Facebook page as well. The good life, he says, is assumed to be an accelerating life. We take pride in our lives being saturated, even claiming that we're too busy. The answer to how are you is usually busy. And this is in part a confession of the weariness that's imposed by the pace of life that makes us susceptible to depression. But at a more direct level, this answer signals that though we're stretched, we're in demand. We're living fast. We're embracing opportunities. It signals to others that we're flourishing, that we're full. And this flourishing is risky, he says. It leads to weariness that can produce despondency, but nevertheless, it signals that we're moving fast and keeping up, and therefore, we are living well. In other words, that we're living full, that we're living satisfied. So we're going to look at this passage today. It's a miracle of Jesus in Matthew 14 that when we interpret it and apply it correctly, okay, it begs the question, to whom or what do we go to to be full? Okay, to be full. So we've seen through the Gospel of Matthew that the desperate people follow Jesus, that the admirers use Jesus, and that the religious oppose Jesus. Okay, And we've said a time or two, quoting Paige, Paige Brown, that... All that you need to come to Jesus is nothing. But most people don't have that. They have something else that they are banking on for their fullness, which is actually giving them a very false sense of fullness. So in this miracle, the the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is pointing, here's the point, he's pointing to himself as the source of fullness of of completeness. Look at the text with me. When Jesus, verse 13, Jesus heard about it. He withdrew from there by boat when he heard about John the Baptist's beheading, which is another rejection story from last Sunday. When he withdrew from there by a boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw this large crowd, not Nazarenes, not not from Nazareth, but but another large crowd. And he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. And when evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted. It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves, etc., etc. Jesus said, they don't need to go away. He told them, you give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Well, bring them here to me, he said. And then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. And he took five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. And he broke the loaves and he gave one to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. 
they picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. And now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew's account of the feeding of the 5,000 is, is in one sense like all the other miracles that Matthew is telling you about Jesus, right? He is establishing for you account after account after account. He's establishing for you the divinity of Jesus, okay? He wants you to understand that he has control over that which is natural. It's total control. Okay? That, that science and nature are the, is the norm for God's creation, but that because he controls it, he can act outside of the norm. And Jesus can do that. Okay? And we've seen multiple accounts of that through, through the gospel. Okay? But there are elements of this story that for the original reader, and remember that Matthew's primary audience are Jews. He wants them to understand Jesus as the Messiah. And he's written this book for Jews to read so that they will believe in Jesus as the Messiah. This miracle in particular screams Jewish Messiah. Shouts it from the mountaintop. Okay? Because Jesus may have been rejected by his Jewish hometown. And Jesus may have been rejected by his Jewish household for the moment. And Jesus may have been rejected by the Jewish establishment, but none of that rejection makes him any less the Jewish Messiah. He was who he was. He is who he is. And this miracle for Matthew and for you and I today shouts from the mountaintops, forget about the rejection. He's the Jewish Messiah and here's the proof. He is the long-awaited Messiah creating the new Israel out of those who will follow him. And the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 goes a long way to make this super, super clear to anybody who is paying attention. Okay, So this story is the fulfillment of the Exodus 16 story of of Israel wandering around in the wilderness having no bread. Look, what ha- look at the comparison between this story and Exodus 16. Right now they're in the wilderness, just as the Israel was in the wilderness, right? This place is deserted. We have nothing here. They need to go somewhere else in order to get their food. They got to go, right? And Jesus provides bread in a, in a miraculous way. And you've got 12 baskets left over. That's not an accident. It's one for each apostle. Each one of the disciples is holding the bread going, what just happened? There were five loaves here. Now we've all got baskets full of bread. Each one of them's holding one, presumably. And each one represents the, the 12 tribes of Israel who were all in the wilderness holding manna going, what is this? What just happened here? We have all that we need. More and it keeps coming. We don't have to keep it because it's just, it's just always here. 
So Matthew is not simply providing another miracle story that highlights Jesus' divinity. He's showing us beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's the fulfillment. The last time the Lord provided bread in the wilderness, He was forming His people into a nation. And now in providing bread in the wilderness, Jesus is forming the new nation of Israel and Him as its King. He's the Messiah. So that's what it's about. Congratulations. So what? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Because the intent of the miracle is to reveal Jesus' glory as the Jewish Messiah, His goal is to show them and to show you and I that He is the source of spiritual sustenance for the Jew and for the Gentile. He is our completeness. He is our satisfaction. That's, that's the point, right? This, the, the, the point of this passage is not Jesus' compassion for the poor, not the bread portion. There's that portion beforehand. He's got, he looks on the crowd and he has compassion and he heals their sick. But there's nothing in the story to suggest that these are starving Hungry people have not eaten for several days. That's not the case. Home is right over there. They're in the wilderness, but home is within reach. Let them go home, say the disciples. Let them get their bread. That's not callousness. That's not indifference. That's not a lack of social justice. That's, that's not what's going on in the, in the text here. They're not calloused. That's a perfectly plausible suggestion on their part. It's a perfectly acceptable thing to suggest if, if the goal of this passage is to provide basic. If, if the goal of the disciples is to provide basic sustenance, then they're doing their job by sending people home. But that's not what Jesus wants to happen in this moment. The provision of bread through this miracle in the wilderness is to say, I provided you with this basic sustenance so that you'll understand that I am your spiritual sustenance. The miracle is a means to a greater glory, to the greater need. The fullness of the belly is meant to point to the need for the fullness of the soul and the person who provided the bread. Okay? And while that's not extrapolated out in Matthew's gospel, it is in John's. Because right after this account that happens in the gospel of John, John chapter 6, Jesus says everything that I've just said. Listen to John 6 verse 26 and following. Jesus says, I, because the crowd was like, man, that was amazing. Let's just keep following this guy because he'll feed us. He'll give us everything that we could need to have a full belly. And therefore, because life was basically just survival, he'll, he can take care of us. We won't have to take care of ourselves. So Jesus answered in verse John 6, 26, Truly I tell you, you're looking for me. They're chasing after him. Not because you saw the signs, meaning not because you saw what I did and understand who I am and want to glory in me, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. That's all that mattered to them. And so they're chasing after Jesus, not for who he is, but because of what he did. And those are two very different things. Don't work for the food, says Jesus, that perishes, but for the food that lasts 
for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because the God the Father has set His seal on approval on Him. And they said, well, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, this is the work that you believe in the one He has sent. Belief, by the way, in Jesus is a work of God. Verse 30, what sign then, said the people, are you going to do so that may we see and believe you? Did they not just see one? And we're chasing after him to get more of the sign. What are you going to do? What are you going to perform? Verse 31. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you truly, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's talking about himself. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. What an incredible, beautiful invitation to the gospel from the gospel himself. He makes an overt and compassionate call to all of us, Jews first, Gentiles second, to come to Him for salvation, the giver, not the gift. So the problem with us is that we look for fullness and completeness and wholeness and satisfaction in the gifts, not the giver. I was insecure. I was incomplete. I was disheveled. I didn't know what to do with myself with my empty calendar and a lack of responsibility, full, that points to an idolatry problem in my heart that says you're not full unless your schedule is full. And Jesus says you're not full if you don't believe and trust in me and find me to be satisfying and whole and full. Piper wrote this book that just shreds your heart called God is the Gospel very famously wrote this passage. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth, all the food you've ever liked, all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and you had no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus were not there? If the answer to that question is yes, then those things and those people are what we are depending upon for our sustenance and our fullness and our satisfaction and not Jesus who is the only one who is our fullness and our satisfaction. So this miracle is revealing, is Jesus revealing himself as your sustenance, your satisfaction, your source of fullness, your source of completeness. And he does it in a way that clearly reveals to a Jew. And, the, and there was an every expectation from a Jew that the Messiah would do this same type of miracle that Moses, Moses had done in Exodus 16. There was that expectation, and he does it. And yet in John 6, 36, the very next verse, Jesus is like, and you don't believe. You don't believe. I have done everything. I've met everything. I've done it right in front of you. And still you love the gift that he made, not the giver who made it. You want satisfaction in the gift, not in the giver. And Jesus says to him, Jesus says to us, you gotta keep, you gotta switch that around. 
I am, the giver is the one who fully satisfies. That's why we have this table over here. Because Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed, was practicing the Jewish Passover. Thousands of years of practice of the Jewish Passover. And around the table with 12 disciples who represent the 12 tribes of Israel, he picks up the Passover bread that for thousands of years was to be done in remembrance of the Passover in where the death angel passed over anybody who had the blood of the lamb on their outside door. Would have killed anybody. It killed every, the firstborn of, of Exodus otherwise, right? But if you had blood on the door of the lamb... You were passed over. And the reason there was flat bread is because they didn't have time for to make it. So they had flat bread they carried with them. And they would take this flat bread to remember the time that God passed over their sin because they had the blood of the lamb on the door. They remembered. They remembered the exit. They remembered Egypt. They remembered the forming of the nation. They remembered. They remembered. And Jesus sat around the table and he said, Now you don't do that to remember the exodus. You do it to remember me. The bread in the wilderness wasn't about the forming of the nation of Israel. It was appointing to me as the forming of the king of Israel for all who believe. The Exodus isn't about the forming of a nation of Israel. It's about the forming of a nation. You do this now not to remember the Exodus. You do it to remember me. So we're going to take this bread... We're going to drink this wine because he is our satisfaction. He is our source of wholeness and fullness and completeness. We're going to do this to remember him because he is all that we need. Let's pray together. Lord, we we ask that you would be our source of fullness and completeness and wholeness and satisfaction. We got a lot of gifts from you, a lot of provision, a lot of care, a lot of relationships, a, a lot of money, a lot of freedom. We have so many things. And if we could have all of those things and not you, that's a problem. That's, that's what it means. That's, that's what these people were doing. They're for the gift, not because you were the satisfying giver. So we, we want to find you as our source of wholeness and, and fullness and complete. We want to feel the rea- that reality. We want to like know that and feel it and experience it and live it. And that's so compelling to this world that's desperately looking for satisfaction in, in platforms or in expensive cookies or what else? I mean, there's so many things that we just look, look for it to be in. We have the source of eternal life in the person of Jesus. What else can we need? May that be our story. And we come to remember you and find our satisfaction in you. And we ask it and do it in Jesus' name. Amen.